Now, we're continuing in our series on Galatians, and it's Galatians chapter 4, as I mentioned, 12 to 20. If you want to turn there in your Bible, there's a Bible in the seat back in front of you. If you don't have one, or tap there on your phone. And uh, this section of text, as the Holy Spirit often does, kind of falls. I don't know how he does this, but the, the Holy Spirit kind of falls on the right text on the right day. And, and you're actually going to see that this is, this is a Mother's Day sermon, believe it or not, coming out of Galatians 4, uh, 12 to 20. And uh, Paul has spent the better part of of half his letter now appealing to the Galatians to return to the gospel. And he's made the argument about the gospel over the law. And he's made it historically. He's made it practically. He's made this argument experientially. He's made his argument doctrinally. He's made it legally. He's made it theologically. He's gone over and over and over again with these people in Galatia that the gospel is superior to the law. And he's used examples, and he's used illustrations, he's used metaphors, he, he, he's pointed to his apostolic authority, he's pointed to scripture, he's pointed to Moses, he's, he's used Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit. And we've seen on several occasions that, that this has been sustained in a passionate plea from Paul towards the people that he loved. This is Paul emotionally engaged here, in one of the first letters that we have of his And he's writing to a church that he loved. And he'd lived with them, he had taught them, he had brought them into the knowledge of Jesus by his very own ministry. And Paul is feeling utter compassion for them at the same time as he's feeling perplexed. But now in this section, about halfway through now, after all the history and all the doctrine and all the theology and illustration, Paul opens up his heart of hearts. And if you look carefully with me at this section of text, you'll see why I think the Holy Spirit has us here on Mother's Day. Because Paul's appeal to the Galatians now turns away from arguments and doctrine and theology. And in this paragraph, Paul's appeal to the Galatians is just out of his love for them and out of the love that they once had for him. And there's times in our life, and you moms and you parents know exactly what I'm talking about, you will recognize these times in your own child's life, when they are stubbornly set upon doing their own thing, or we are stubbornly set on doing things our way, and we are heading the wrong way, and we don't even see how far off the track we are. And those who love us want to bring us back from the darkness and into the light. They want to bring us from deception into truth and away from evil influence and into good influence. But we don't need another lecture, or we don't need another lesson at that point in our life. What we need is the love of those people that care about us. And so in this part of the text here, Paul's done all his lessons and he's done all his lectures, and now he just wants them to see his love. And this heartfelt appeal, I think, we're going to find in here the motherly heart of Paul, and in fact, the mother heart of God. And you'll see how I get that in the text as we read it. But Paul really shows how we are made in the image of God, male and female, he made them. And that we all have, as we grow closer and closer to God, and we grow more and more in the likeness of Jesus Christ, we have this motherly heart, because it's the heart that God put in us. Let's look at the text and see. Galatians 4, 12 to 20 now. After all the arguments, here's where Paul goes. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but receive me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? 
They may make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. You see, there's no doctrine here, there's no theology, there's no argument. This is just Paul saying, wow, what happened to our relationship? Where are you going? What happened to our love? And if you crack open any commentary or you read any teaching on this portion of text, everyone will tell you it's very hard to perfectly interpret. There's a lot of sort of one-liners that Paul uses here. And those one-liners are kind of hard because you can't really see where they're connected. Paul's really emotional as he writes this letter. He's been angry at the Judaizers. He's been excited about his memory of the confrontation with Peter. He's been ecstatic in his description of Christ crucified. And now he's just pouring out his heart to the people he loves. And so as we go through this, I'm just going to try and quickly sort of amplify the text as we go through here and sort of get a picture of where Paul's heart is at as he writes it. Because it's not really about Paul's argument. It's about where Paul's heart is as he writes here. He says, brothers, I entreat you. Paul's back to calling them brothers and sisters again. He's saying my siblings, and he's entreating them. And the word here means need. He says, I have a longing. I have a deep need for you, my brothers. Become as I am, for I also became as you are. And Paul, through all this section of text, is calling their minds back to the time when he first came to them in the region of Galatia. And those are the cities of Derbe and Lystra and Iconium. And uh, he's written this letter to those cities. And he says, when I came to you, I became as you were. I didn't come as a Jewish rabbi or a Pharisee. I didn't come and impose the Jewish law on you. When I came to you, I became as you were. I was like a Gentile. I ate the food you ate. I dressed the way you dressed. I, I celebrated you know, the feast that you celebrated, I didn't try to become, I didn't force you to become like me, I became like you. And so he's saying to them, why do, don't become like I was, I became like you, why don't you become like me again? Why don't you become free from all this law and all these things that, that these Judaizers are putting on you? Don't get caught up in that. So that's what that means there, he's saying, become as I am, for I became as you are. I need you to just be like me. And then he says, you did me no wrong. And these, these five words are tacked in here with almost no context at all, but they are critically important because Paul is just expressing his heart and he wants these people to know, look, I'm lecturing you, I'm entreating you, and I'm going to pour out my heart to you, but I want you to know that this doesn't have anything to do with you offending me. Okay, you've done me no wrong. So as I speak to you now from my heart, I want you to know it's I, whatever I'm saying to you, or whatever it is that I'm saying to you, I just want you to know that it's not because you offended me. I'm not doing this because I think you owe me an apology, or I'm not angry at you because I'm hurt. You've done me no wrong. All of the things I'm telling you are for your benefit, not because I feel like I've been hurt. And so whatever state you're in right now, whatever harm has been done to your faith, whatever these Judaizers have told you, or you may think of me now, I just want to make one thing clear. You haven't hurt me. You haven't done me wrong. I'm saying those, these things for you. I'm saying them because I love you, not because you've hurt me. Now, how many mothers out there have had those conversations with their kids, right? right? You're in a situation where you're teaching something, and it's something so important for them that they understand. And you're getting pretty passionate about it, right? But you want them to understand, look, it's not because you've hurt me, right? I'm not wounded as a mother, I'm saying these things to you because I love you. That's what Paul is saying here. You have done me no wrong. The things I'm saying to you are because of my love for you. 
And there's a lot of mothers and fathers here today would want to say that to their children or need to say that to their children. They need to say, look, whatever you've done in your life, whatever you may think of me, you've not wronged me. The things I teach you and the things that I do, I do because I love you. Because what you're doing is something wrong against yourself, not wrong against me. That's what we want as parents, right? That's what we want is we want our kids to see that when they have gone astray, we love them because they're causing harm to themselves, not because they've harmed us. But Paul goes on to explain actually how innocent the Galatians are of wrongdoing to him, calling, again, their mind back to the first time he arrived. He says in 13 to 14, he says, You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. And everyone sort of wonders what Paul's illness was. All through his letters, there's little hints that Paul was gravely ill, and he suffered pain and various things. And, and, and you kind of wonder, what was Paul's illness? And as he was on his first missionary journey here with Barnabas, he, he traveled through Syria, still the same Syria today, and then he got on a boat and he went to Cyprus, and then he went by boat again to the region of the city of Perga, which is just at the, the southern end of the area of Galatia. But this is a coastal city and it's very low lying, and they have a lot of malaria. Okay, so there's a very good chance here that Paul probably caught malaria while he was in the city of Perga. And the thing is, in Galatia, you then go up the mountains to Derby and Lystra and Iconium. And so Paul probably, when he says here, I came to you because of a bodily illness at first, he's probably left the lowlands because he's contracted malaria or something of that sort. And so he has come to them, not by plan, but because of his illness, right? And, and malaria has symptoms of, of extreme joint pain, you can't travel well, you have migraine headaches, you have blurred vision, and even blindness can result. And so Paul couldn't travel, he couldn't see well, and he had this pain, and he didn't have any anti-malaria meds. And so he just went up into the mountains, right? He's just trying to get out of the swamp. He's just trying to get away from the mosquitoes, right? So he can deal with this illness. And he says, I came to you because of a bodily ailment, and I preached the gospel to you at first just because I was laid up here with you. And even though my condition was a trial to you, you didn't scorn or despise me. He said, look, I was a pain in the neck. I get it, right? Like, I couldn't help myself. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't see. I had migraines most of the days. I was painful to take care of. And yet, you were so good to me. You didn't despise me. You received me like I was an angel of God or even as Christ Jesus himself. What a compliment to the hospitality of the Galatians. You know, Paul, this unexpected visitor who's hard to care for, but they loved him and they heard and they received the gospel from him. And so he's just calling their mind back to their first encounter. And then he says, then what has become of your blessedness? So here's his confusion. He's, he's like, what's happened? Why have you turned against me? And why have you turned against what I taught you? What happened to those beautiful people that received me? You had so much compassion. He says, for I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. Right? And we know that Paul's had this problem with his eyes, whether it was malaria or whether it was shingles or something. He's had a painful, affecting problem with his eyes, and we see it in other letters as well. That, that whatever was causing him this pain, the compassion of the Galatians was such that they would have given them their own eyes if they had been able to. And so Paul's now confused, but now you're rejecting me and you're turning to these Judaizers. Why, when you were so compassionate to me when I was such a problem before, do you not have the same compassion for me now or the same esteem and love what I am saying in the gospel? 
You're rejecting me, and you're rejecting the message of love that I have for you. He says, have I then become your enemy by telling the truth? Paul can't figure this out. He's saying there's nothing kinder I could do for you, Galatians, than to tell you the truth. I'm not trying to deceive you or lie to you. The truth is the most loving thing I can offer. And when I offer you the love of the truth, and yet you treat me like an enemy because of it. And we can relate to Paul's heart here, right, in this? Moms and dads, right? You've been here with your kids, haven't you? You've done nothing but love them and guide them and warn them and show them the right way through life. And those rotten kids always end up hating you and loving their miscreant friends, right? You know, they turn 12 or 13 or 14 or 15 or 16, and all of a sudden their friends are everything and you are nothing. And you have done everything to show them the truth, to love them, to have compassion for them, to do nothing to deceive them. And yet they run off and they hang out with these 16-year-olds and they love those friends who do everything to deceive them, who don't care about them, who only care if they can get them to come along in, in the trouble that they're in, right? And the friends that they love are deceiving them. And Paul's in this situation here. The Judaizers have come along into the church in Galatia. And all of a sudden, the Galatians are captivated by these people and the law that they're teaching and follow these rituals and sacrifice and do this and be circumcised and only eat this kind of food. And Paul says, I've done nothing but show you love and truth and compassion. Why do you hate me because of it? Those people are not telling you the truth, and yet you seem to love them more. This is what Paul's tapping into here. He's tapping into the reality of our heart of compassion and love and truth and the reality of the pain that comes with loving those who can turn against us, right? That's the heartache of us, is that as much as we love and show the truth, our children can turn against us and the heartache of holding on to your hope and your desire for them in their life. And when they are your children, when they're your physical children or even your spiritual children, you can never let them go. And that's Paul's heart here. He can't let this church go, right? He loves these people. They are his spiritual children. And they weigh heavily on his heart. And then Paul kind of shifts mid-sentence here, almost to compare his love in sharing the truth with the wickedness of the Judaizers. Now he's talking about those people that the Galatians have, have put their love on. He says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. He's saying, yeah, those people, they're making a great deal about you, your friends, they may tell you that you're awesome and they, you may have the best time with them and they may say how great you are and what a riot you are to be around. They're going to make a big deal about you. They love to butter you up. Your friends are going to tell you exactly what you want to hear. They're going to tickle your ears with the things that you like to hear from them. And they will tell you. These Judaizers will tell you what great law keepers you are, but their flattery is not for any good purpose. They want to cut you off from me and they want to cut you off from the truth so that you'll make a big deal about them. They want your attention, and they want your adoration, and they want you to stroke their ego, and they are making a big deal about you only so that you'll make a big deal about them. Right? And we see this, again, in our own kids. They go off to high school, and their friends make a big deal about them. The only reason their friends make a big deal about them is so that they can just be part of the party. Right? That they can just feed their ego. And then Paul says, he's saying, I'm not not saying it's wrong for teachers or leaders or parents to be appreciated or to be encouraged or to be commended. It's, It's right that you do so. He says, it's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present with you, 
Right? He's saying when it's for a good purpose, you should commend your leaders and your teachers. When they're good leaders and when they're good teachers and they're good ministers who are working to a good purpose, for sure, make a big deal about them. And make a big deal about them, he kind of tacks on there, even when they're not there. Like, even though I'm not there, you could probably still be making a big deal about me, you know, and the things I taught you. Don't turn on me as soon as I leave, but keep following my lead. But then Paul really opens up his heart in the concluding portions of this text, right? And we, and we have to look at it and try to unpack where Paul's coming from here. He says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. My little children, it's technion, a little child. He doesn't use huos here. Huos is the word son that he's been using all the way through. Remember we talked about the importance of the word son because of the inheritance and the culture that the in adopting in as a son included the inheritance. But he doesn't say huos here. He says technion, my little children. It's, meant, it's a girl or a boy. And it's a term of endearment that Paul only ever uses once. It's the only time in all the letters that he wrote that Paul uses this phrase, technion. It's a term of affection. It's a term that Jesus used of the disciples just before his death in John 13, 33. It's a term that John, the, the disciple John, uses several times when he's warning against spiritual dangers in his letters to the churches. It's a word that Paul uses here out of his compassion for the Galatians who are threatened by wrong teaching. He's saying, my little children, my technion, My dear ones, he says, I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And now you're thinking, when you read that, like I was thinking when I read it, is this the Apostle Paul claiming to know something about the pain of childbirth? Right? Did, Did he just say that as a man? I can't believe he did, but he did. Right? And this is one of the ways that I can affirm that the Bible is inspired by God. Because we know that no man would ever make this comparison unless he was inspired by some sort of supernatural power, right? You know, you do not make a reference to the pain of childbirth in the presence of women unless you have some sort of influence by God to have you do that. That's just a no-go place. But Paul does it here, so I'm, I'm believing this is inspired, right? In this heartbreaking sort of anguish that he has over his spiritual children in Galatia, he says, look, it's to the point that I'm again Notice the word again in the anguish of childbirth for them. He says, I gave birth to you once. I gave spiritual birth to you. And I was in pain, actually, when I did that. But now I feel like I'm in labor again. I am in spiritual pain and giving birth to you again. This isn't natural. You're already born again. You're already children of God. You already know the gospel. Why am I again in labor and in pain over you. It's terrifying and it's saddening and it's painful at the same time, right? When we see our children go off the path, when we see our children go on a road that leads to harm, it's worse than the pain of childbirth. You know, when you see your kids in a situation that you know is leading to their destruction, it would almost be preferable to go back to the hospital and have them again, to the pain that it causes in our hearts and in our emotions. And this is the heart of Paul as a minister to these people in Galatia, right? This is the heart of a spiritual father. This is a tender, compassionate, or what I'm saying here is a motherly heart. And this isn't a one-time revelation of Paul's very motherly heart. He says it in another letter to the church in Thessalonica as well. And again, he goes to this very feminine analogy, even in comparing to himself. 
He says in 1 Thessalonians 2.7, he says, But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. This is Paul speaking. He says he's in childbirth. He says he's like a nursing mother. Or in Corinthians 4.15, he says, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Jesus Christ, I have begotten you through the gospel. Now, there he refers to himself as a father, but this idea of begotten, this idea of giving birth, this idea of you are my children spiritually. Now, this is what I think it is and and why I think it's important for us to see, all of us, but especially us men. So on Mother's Day, men, this is where you listen up. Okay, I think we have to understand this. Was this just Paul? Where is this heart of this man coming from? Where is this language coming from in a man like Paul that he would say he's in the pains of childbirth again, that he would say he feels like a nursing mother taking care of children? Is it just Paul? Is he just sort of that kind of a guy? Is he just kind of that soft-heartedness part of him? Or as he opens up his heart to us here, do we see deeper into his heart and past the heart of his flesh into the very spirit of Christ or into the spirit of God? And that's really what I want us to see in conclusion here. That He says in 2 Corinthians 10.1, he says, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. There's a gentleness, there's a meekness of Jesus Christ that's in the heart of Paul. This is not Paul's natural condition, okay? Paul's natural condition we've seen several times in the letter of Galatia. Right, where he's been angry at Peter, where he's frustrated with the Galatians. Later on, he's going to say, you know, they're circumcised, I just wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. That's Paul's heart. But there is a meekness and a gentleness here that is the meekness and gentleness of Christ. It's the same Jesus that during his ministry here on earth, he stood above the city of his people, Jerusalem, and he said in Matthew 23, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. And so Paul has this same heart, this meekness and gentleness of Jesus. This Jesus who would gather the children of Israel under his wings like a mother hen does. And now we refer to God as Father and Christ as His Son, and and there's much debate about the male pronouns that are used for God, but let's remember that God is Spirit, John says in chapter 4, and that God is neither male nor female, but rather the nature of God encompasses both male and female. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him, male and female, He created them. There is no feature of the human heart There's no feature of the human heart, male or female, that is not a reflection of God the Creator. We call God Father and not Mother, and we call Him King rather than a Queen, because that's what God's called Himself, right? That's how He has spoken of Himself in Scripture. God's decided in Scripture the way in which we'll relate to Him. But those are only pronouns, and those are only images, and those are all only shadows of the true and perfect God who created us both, male and female. And He is as masculine as any male, and He is as feminine as any female, That's the reality of our Creator. And so let's look back, not just to Paul, but not just to Jesus, but to God the Father speaking. And this is such a great lesson, again, I say to us men, in an age of sort of hyper-masculinity, right, where there is this onus that we have to have the biggest beard and the strongest muscles, right, and the perfect figure. This age of hyper-masculinity, it's good to look back to Paul and to Jesus and even to God the Father and see the mother heart that is there has always been there, and that he's placed in our hearts. In Hosea, Hosea is a great book for this. 
Hosea 11.1, it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And then he goes on and he says, The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. And so here we have the heart of God the Father towards Israel, the same as Jesus had towards Jerusalem and the same as Paul has towards Galatia. Here are my children that I called my own sons and daughters, and they are going astray, and they are offering burning incense to idols. Spiritual children who are turning from the truth of God. And so what is God the Father's response? Does he unstrap the belt? No. In verses 3 and 4, he says, Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. It was I who took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness and with bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke. And I bent down to them and fed them. So God says here in Hosea, he says, that little baby Ephraim, Ephraim was the northern tribe of Israel. That little baby Ephraim, those tribes of Israel, I held their hands while they took their first wobbly steps. And when Israel fell, I scooped them up into my arms. And they were wounded and I healed them. But they didn't even know it was me. They were so young, they just took it for granted that, you know, it was all going to be okay. And I guided them as they went with cords of kindness and bands of love. And I kept drawing them out of danger and drawing them close to me. And earlier in Hosea, God describes himself as doting over his children. Again, the, the, the echoes of Galatians are so clear here with the heart of Paul. He says, what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. And he ends up and he concludes. He says, I will heal their backsliding and I will love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. So you can see in Paul and in Jesus and in God the Father, you can see this tender, motherly heart. You can see this compassion and this love that says you have gone astray and I don't know what to do with you. What will I do with you? I'm going to keep on loving you freely. We go back to Paul's conclusion. He says, I wish I could be present with you now to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. I think in this section of text, as we look kind of deeper between the lines, we realize that we're not really looking as much into Paul's heart of flesh. We're looking into the heart that Paul has from God. He has the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. He has the compassion that God has. And mothers and fathers, men especially this morning, I want to say, look, especially in an age of kind of hyper-masculinity, Our God is a tender and loving and compassionate God. Okay? He has a mother's heart. He's given our mothers their mother's heart. And Jesus has that heart, and Paul has that heart, and we need to have that heart. Just like Jesus looking on Jerusalem, just like God doting on Israel, Paul is perplexed. He doesn't want these Galatians to turn away from the truth or to abandon the love that is held out to them. He's confused. He doesn't want to repeat the lessons to them anymore. He's tired of the lectures. He just wants to be present with them. And not to lecture them, but to change his tone so that he can love them. And every mom has this heart for their children, right? And every good minister of the gospel has this heart for his people. It may not seem like it all the time, right? It may seem sometimes when I'm up here that it's lectures and lessons. Okay? But behind the lectures and the lessons is the love. Right? We do this out of love. We parent out of love. Right? We, there's no leader, there's no minister, there's no 
parent, no spiritual parent, can feel as deeply as Paul felt for his spiritual children. I mean, Paul, Paul's Paul. But we all share the same spirit. And the heart of Paul was conformed by the spirit of Christ. And that motherly love that he felt is reflected on in all true ministers and all true parents. That's Paul's heart. It's my heart for you. But far more importantly, it's God's heart for all of us. That we would know his love and not turn to it, but lean into it. But for us as mothers today, I just want to finish with this. As we sort of sort of glimpsed into the heart of Paul here, no doctrine, no theology, just Paul pouring out his heart saying, I don't know, I don't know what happened to us. I know that there's a lot of moms here who have kids where you're just shaking your head and you're saying, I don't know how we got here. I don't know how we got here in this relationship, like why you, don't, why you think I hate you or you hate me or, or why we're estranged. Or maybe it's just not even that. Maybe it's not at the relationship. Maybe it's just I don't even know how you got to this place in your life, you know, where you, you're just far from God and far from us as a family. And, and I don't even know how we got here, and I'm confused about you. And you've got this same heart that Paul has. And Paul's answer and Jesus' answer and God's answer it was just to love, just to love those prodigal children. We don't have, in the story of the prodigal son, we don't, we don't have a lot of information about the, the father while the son is away, right? The, he's at home, and he, wants, he wishes his father was dead, and you know, he says, I just want my inheritance now. It'd be better if you could just divvy up the will. So he, fine, you can have your inheritance, and he goes, and he's off, and, and, and he's off, and we sort of follow the son out in the world while he's a prodigal. And we don't really... We don't really get a lot of story on what's going on back at home with the father or with the mother in this case. What the heart is of that parent whose children have gone far from them and far from the word. But what we do see at the end is we see where his heart was at when his son came home, right? Right? That heart is he ran, hiked up his robe and ran out to meet him. And that's the heart, that's the motherly heart of any father. That's the motherly heart that Paul has for the Galatians. That's the heart that Jesus had for Jerusalem. That's the heart that the Father had for Israel. That even though our children may be far from us, even though our children may be far from the truth that we would hope for them, aside from the lectures, aside from the lessons, what Paul says here is, I just love you. What happened to that love? I want to be with you so I can love you again. God says, I'll heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger is turned away from them. This is not about lectures and lessons. This is about the tender, loving heart of God and how that forms in us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning, for this scripture. Thank you for the words of Paul. And he really does just open up his heart to us in this paragraph. You know, he's not talking about the law. He's not talking about Abraham. He's not talking about all that stuff. He's just saying, hey, what happened to us? Where did our relationship go? (laughs) We loved each other. I want to be there with you again so I can love you again. Father, we have that on our hearts for a lot of our kids. What happened to us? Where, Where have you gone? I'm perplexed about you. Why are you listening to these other people in your life who are leading you astray that don't want anything good for you? And that is a hard spot to be, Lord. So my prayer this morning is just that we would have this heart of Paul. That we would have the heart that you would give us through your spirit of Jesus. That we would have a heart of compassion for our children. Our physical children and our spiritual children. Who are far away from your truth. But we would just love them the way you love them. 
And when they come back, we would have open arms for them. And then we would welcome them back into the truth and show them our love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.